We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. What's up, y'all? It's Drewski, and I've teamed up with Mountain Dew to produce a hilarious new basketball podcast called The Dew Zone with Drewski. Learn the backstories of your favorite ballers and celebrities like Jamal Murray. Did you have, like, a favorite team? Was it the Raptors at the time or no? Was the Raptors even started around that time? Come on, bro. I ain't that old, fam. <laughs> You're talking like I'm 50. Taylor Rooks, Asia Wilson, and many more. You won't want to miss this. Listen to The Do Zone with Drewski on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you listen to podcasts. This is the Dane Moore NBA podcast, and I am recording this today with Britt Robson um, of The Athletic. We're actually recording it on Friday. This will come out on Monday. And Britt, I thought we were just going to do our normal sort of, you know, shoot the shit about the Wolves for an hour thing, but you were the one who sent me an outline of topics to discuss this well time. i mean that's just because i've been uh holed up in my house and trying to figure out uh <laughs> what to say about this team i'll tell you what it what it mostly was is that uh and this happens every playoff season yeah i watched the playoffs compared it to the team i just got through watching in the regular season <laughs> and go holy shit there is a such an enormous gap yeah between the team I see play and the teams, even in the first round, uh, those first round games, even teams that didn't make the the cut, like like Phoenix. who? Give me a give me a West example. Oh, like Phoenix? Yeah, well, like well, I mean, just the Utah Denver series, for example. Okay. Or, um, I mean, even uh, Orlando. If Orlando didn't have Isaac's hurt and some other people, Gordon and Carter Williams. Yeah, they had a I lot. mean, and they're probably by far the worst team to show in the playoffs. Maybe Indiana. Indiana right. disappointed. But what I'm saying is, there wasn't of the 16 teams I saw, uh, even the 15th and 16th teams felt immeasurably better in terms of being able to compete now. Okay, so, so my question is though, how different? So, so take that, take that team, which take say it's Phoenix, All right. say it's Orlando. What was Orlando or Phoenix, you know, a year before, you know, where they were, where they weren't quite at this level, or, or even at Denver, who's in the Western Conference Final. I mean, two years ago, right? They're they're, they're playing the Wolves in the eight nine game, and 
And I know a million different things have happened in this development, but I think that is the glass half full with the Wolves. Is it's like we're not expecting to be. I don't think we should be expecting to be a team that's going to be at Denver's level next year, but that's more so the idea that it would be two, maybe three years down the road. Right. Um, which is pretty bold reset. I mean, you know, <laughs> let's face it. Uh, well, my opinion, dude, just, you you've know. got two cornerstones, at least you're paying them like cornerstones, who are on the cusp of the prime of their careers. You know, yep. fifth, sixth-year players. And you've got – you're capped out, theoretically. Um, so, <laughs> again, I mean – and this is actually, if you recall the list I sent you, some of it revolves around the fact that uh, the promise coming in from Gerson Rosas, who I have pretty steadfastly supported and on balance still support um, – is that he will do things on the margins and things in the quasi-mainstream of modern NBA basketball management that will be value-added. Yeah. Um, and that means turning flax into gold in a variety of ways. And um, the evidence of that right now is minuscule it's it's the chafest flax it's it's the stuff that he's probably not turning into gold he's turning it into zirconium or something and um i mean i'm talking about nas reed and jmac yeah both way better than both where they were when they were acquired the value that they had when they were acquired uh that kind of development and just a play of all the people who were in iowa was very heartening but we're still talking about that's one of a like a three or four step process for those guys alone, you know? Yeah. I mean, you mentioned the Denver Nuggets, right? Mm -hmm. um, I think they have like three second rounders in their top eight, including Jokic. Sure. You know? Um, in fact, I wrote it down. Let me see if I can figure it out. Well, Monte Morris. Monte Morris is their own. I think Will Barton might have been one. Let me see. Yeah, but Barton, Will Barton. Was, Barton was taken 40th in the second round by somebody else. Jokic taken 41st. Morris taken 51st. Uh, Jeremy Grant. Grant, 39th second round. Uh, Torrey Craig, two-way contract. Um, P.J. Dozier, too. Yeah, P.J. Dozier, who I didn't put in here. A two-way contract. He's played at the playoffs. Right. Closed. So, I mean, but the point is um, that's phenomenal. Yeah, that that's um, you know, and, and their highest drafter was Murray seventh, taking five picks after four picks, whatever it was after Chris Dunn. Sure. Um, so you know, it's easy to second guess the draft on that, and I don't want to always do that because there's they could have missed even worse than Chris Dunn, who actually is really good on one side of the ball. But the point I'm making: Gary Harris nineteenth, Michael Porter Jr. fourteenth, uh, because of injury he fell. Uh, but well, even Nurkic, too, they exactly, drafted, who was who like they got, you know, 16th, some, right? Some great assets for. So, my point is um, the promise of what is going to happen is barely out of the starting gate. And Rosas has only had one season. He turned over the entire roster. Um, 
And so, yeah, I mean, you know, this is uh, kind of the baby steps. At the same time, as we're taking those baby steps, some things are way beyond baby steps. You know, the, the, the place where you are in baby steps in terms of what he's doing as a culture versus where they are contractually. Uh, Doesn't ver- quite line up. Huh? Doesn't quite line up. Doesn't line up at all because uh, you have this kind of salary load. You should be at the very least. You would be people would be grumbling about you being uh, staying in the first round usually. Well, I don't know if that everyone has the salary load. Everybody pays the salary caps worth. And I think if Gerson Rosas was sitting here today, he would say, "Well, we'll." What would you like us to do with that $60 million that's going to Cat and Dilo? Would you rather have it be a bunch of – I mean, at, at some point, you got to spend that money, right? I agree. So I, I am not convinced that they are worth $60 million. I mean, we could fair. start with that. Fair. That's um, uh, but, again, you know, there were a lot of mistakes that had to be erased. And aside from the sub – optimal flax into zirconium, what I would give him credit for is erasing some mistakes. For sure. Teague, Yang, Williams, you know, whether you, Wiggins, (laughs) how soon we forget. Uh, You know, having those people uh, off the roster um, enables him potentially to be flexible. Uh, D'Lo obviously sapped up a lot of that flexibility but and and the 2021 first is right, gone right um i, I think back to the to the j mac nas the yeah you know, the scratch off tickets whatever whatever right. we want to call them those yeah. sort of guys i do think they're super important in today's nba denver's denver's a really good example of that because they are just the way every roster is constructed is basically two max guys and then you are really finding your additional value in, you know, having paying a guy a couple million dollars, a two-way, whatever, a minimum, and all of a sudden you're like, yeah, this is a rotation player. So I do think Gerson has taken the first step towards finding some of those things. I mean, not to mention that Nas is under contract for super cheap for four right. years. Even And then there's even like a Jalen Noel, who you or I, we don't know from David. but He might be the kind of guy we're talking about that, you know, I mean – and, and I think that that's something we need to – why it it does need a little bit more time. In in that little angle, like we, we don't – maybe Jalen Noel needs more time. I think I think Jared Vanderbilt's a guy we shouldn't forget about. Exactly. Because he has this year left on his contract, then he becomes a restricted free agent. Right. So, so you have those pieces right. that are supposed to insulate your two max guys or, or your 60 million or however you want to put it. But they are incredibly important. That's what I'm saying is at yeah. least one of those guys, J-Mac, Nas, Jared Vanderbilt, Omari Spellman, who is definitely on the outside rail and <laughs> trailing the yeah, field for inexplicable reasons. Yeah. Um, but they have a handful of guys and one of them has to hit not even medium. One of them has to be a regular rotation player if not a starter on this team and i think there's a lot of different guys so you have how many does it take until you find one of them four five i mean i, I think but again what is the track record you yeah know? i mean I, and that's where the belief comes from right but i think the other part of it is what are your two tenants who, who are the guys who are getting the 60 million 
And and to your point, it's a fair argument. A lot of people would make it that you don't feel good about having that 60 go to Cat and D'Lo. What I would say to that is, in ways, they're just placeholders. I know. That is your opinion. I, I Or could be viewed as that. I think it's uh, an innovative, innovative way to look at things that if these guys don't work out, you just flip them for something else that you can get. But what I would say is when 30 million guys are actually 15 to $18 million guys, every now and then you can get rid of them. But a lot of times you well, let's cannot. Let's start with D'Lo. Let's start okay. with D'Lo because okay. we literally have an example of it just right. happened. Right. And, and, and D'Lo – who, off of not doing much in Golden State this year, quite frankly, not really playing much, um, was able to be flipped for a 2021 first with, of course, the heavy baggage of Andrew Wiggins' contract. So I would say if we're just looking, isolating on that one, there is a situation where we could go a, a, a year from now, let's fast forward a year, is D'Angelo Russell going to lose whatever that value is? Could he not be flipped again for a similar price? Well, let's say the Wolves finish 14th or 15th in the West and D'Lo and Cat don't pan out. What is D'Lo worth at $30 million in a super free agency okay, bonanza? Yeah, I'm, not, I'm, not even, I'm not even trying to argue with you. I'm asking no, you. No, like, no, no. Okay, but that, so, my so point is, is yes. I think that right now D'Lo needs to prove he's a $30 million guy. Thus far, he has never been a $30 million guy. Agreed. But what if he proves that he just was exactly what he was a year ago? Because what he was a year ago is a player that was flipped for a very valuable 2021 first and Andrew Wiggins. He was flipped because he's good friends with Carl Anthony Towns, because he's been a long-standing dream of Gerson Rosas in terms of building the team. Um, show me... If, let's put it this way. If the Wolves suddenly are looking to deal D'Angelo Russell right after Brooklyn looked to dealt, deal him and Steve Kerr looked to deal him, how much is he worth? As a guy who doesn't defend and has a interesting skill set on offense that hasn't yet proven to be something that uh, can be a cornerstone talent. Right, so so your your case, and I, I agree with this too, is if he, quote unquote, plateaus, we don't see growth from what he was in Golden State. Then that's a pretty big loss to take right there, because because for the cat reasons, for the the whatever you call them, a Rosa's dream child, right, like, that value might not be du- be able to be duplicated. So we'll we'll say that. I think it's possible that his value is I think he does improve this year. I think I agree. I think he, assets, I expect him to improve. But let's but let's just take the baseline of it doesn't. Okay. That it plateaus. I okay. think it's probably unlikely it gets worse. But let's take the baseline of it plateaus. Now the other placeholder is a pretty special player if similarly flawed in Carl Anthony Towns and are we getting ahead of ourselves to start talking about his trade value and all those sort of things? Yes, but in a existential conversation about the Timberwolves, you look at that, and I think that player, who a year from now will still have three years left on a 25% max, which I don't think anybody can argue he's not worth that, that's a player that you can flip for sure for another 
young piece. Or you could attach, you could attach a first round pick. Carl Anthony Towns plus a first round pick. What does that get you? I think you, I think that opens up things, opens up the pocketbook. But that would have to be two years from now, since they don't have next year's. Yeah, actually, it would have to be three. I mean, if they acquired another first in, in some sort of way, right. uh, an, an asset onto Carl Anthony Towns. Right. That that gets you a lot. Okay, but. You are one of the things Rosas has done. I've done the thing where I've buried myself into defending the side of the argument that I don't know that I necessarily. No, I get it. I get it. I get it. I get it. Go ahead. Um, Rosas has invested the culture. You can't keep sorting players out of here like it's a turnstile and talk about family. I mean, if, 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 that. if that keeps happening, Good point. then uh, you're bullshit. And so, uh, and players can see through that eventually, and it's Minnesota and all the other things. Uh, on the other hand, if Cat doesn't stop plateauing and prove that Jimmy Butler wasn't right, then that's on Cat, and they need to move on. I mean, you can't have your top guy be somebody who's regarded as a huge liability on offense. I mean, excuse me, on a, defense. And potentially as a leader, too. And that, potentially as a leader. I That's, again, you know. For, for your best player on your team, as Carl is, or as any, whatever, any player is, you want to go, we talk about it being a two-way player, right? LeBron, right? Or somebody whose attitude and, Ideally, and example on in practice and on the court and everything else uh, is what everybody cues off of. Yep. You know, um, as weird a guy as Jokic is, looks like he's playing in flip flops all the time. Uh, <laughs> has this kind of weird, uh, uh, weird temper that he has managed to tamp down, um, but. And, and was regarded as a huge liability on defense at one point in time. Now, I mean, part of it is he has Murray. Part of it is he's played with the same guys all the time, both of which Cat can say, I haven't come close to having either one of those things, yep. and has had the support of the organization. I mean, this is the weird thing is that Rosas has embraced Cat, and I'm saying he's really embraced Cat. I don't know about that. On the other hand, what choice did you have when you've had a guy who basically was crapped on by the previous Pobo? And so uh, you got to do this. I mean, again, we're talking about past mistakes. We're talking about the fact that the Wolves have to exhume some of their the stench of their uh, legacy. Um, but Cat's got to do his part. And defensively, last year was the most disappointing year of Cat's career. Um I would point out the first year with Tibbs was statistically equally as bad from an on-court, off-court standpoint. But, but yes, I agree with that in the sense that you would expect by year five that the expectations were higher and the results were just as poor. I keep pointing to Gorgie, Gorgie Jang being, being able to work it with Covington for all of Covington's you know potential flaws as a four. Um, and just in general... Not what worries me is some of it is decision making instinctually and 
um, committedly. Yeah. Uh, and do you have the instincts? And if you don't, do you recommit yourself to the scheme so that your instincts are, are covered, uh, covered up? And Cat thinks more of himself on defense than the than the results would indicate. He just has to play better defense. And we can talk about the scheme. We can talk about the players around him. Um, I give Cat passes on a lot of things in terms of this being a dysfunctional organization and the fact that uh, he's been thrust into positions that he perhaps wasn't ready for at different times. But there's no excuse for this defense. He's had a lot of different ways he could prove us wrong in terms of calling him out on his defense, and it hasn't happened yet. And that needs to change. It needs to change this year or next year, or he should be traded. So I I don't know if you saw this or not, but it kind of caught some steam getting aggregated and pumped out on social media was Doogie, I wouldn't say the word is reported, but shared um, on radio uh, that in, that cat is, quote, good is gone. And, and that is because he was talking to an agent, as Doogie does, for his job. Um, and unsolicited, this agent just brought it up, that a, a premier player who knows Cat well reiterated that to the agent, and the agent said that to Doogie. So ton of ton of disclaimers in sure, there. Yeah. And and the reason I want to bring it up hearsay is, and specious agents, et cetera, et cetera. Exactly. Right. And okay. so that's I'm bringing this up not to fan the flames of that, right. even though probably I guess I inherently am just by giving it life. But I just want to share what, what I sort of how I process that and, and, and bounce it off of you is for years now, my assumption with Kat is the far most the far likeliest end game here is that he is gone within you know having been on the team for seven or eight years and that is even removing any sort of opinion i have of him as a player or person or anything like that it's like open up the internet like (laughs) that's what happens you want should we run through the top 10 players in the league like Kawhi, paul george like these guys are all they stay on the team for that amount of time, and unless things click into place perfectly, those guys leave. Paul George was on the Pacers three years ago. Yes. Three years ago. Yes. And then has, has moved twice since. Kawhi, same, was on the, on the Spurs three years ago. It is extremely, extremely common for a player of Cat's quote-unquote caliber to move on prior to year eight of his career. And so... I don't know. I, I say that to be, yeah, you're working uphill with that. He needs to, he needs to, you know, get it together and all the things, whatever the proverbial things need to click into place. Otherwise he's gone. And, and I don't know if that necessarily marks failure. If he is eventually traded, obviously people are going to draw the line to KG and you're like, Oh, we're going to get back a Al Jefferson and Sebastian Telfair package. Like, no, if, Carl is gone after year eight on his own volition or just because it happens. Right. A big return is likely. A relatively big return is likely. And 
it's hyperbolic to to bring up what Paul George was flipped for because you know Presti turned the screws there and had all the leverage. So we got Shea Gilgis Alexander, a very good young player, Gallinari, a very good old player, plus you know functionally five first round picks. What I would just <laughs> say is it's not is it's not if you get fifty percent of that back for Carl Anthony Towns. Given that he hasn't turned out to be a true superstar, to me it isn't like, I don't know, that doesn't sound like the worst thing in the world. Am I, am I crazy for thinking that? Um, no, I don't think you're crazy for thinking that. But what I would argue is that don't sell us the bill of goods on this then. Be professional. About this, and you're not talking to me. You're talking to I'm Carl talking to Rosas, Rosas, and I'm talking to Cat. I'm talking about the idea that um, you have a situation. If this was the way it was going to be, then Tibbs and Jimmy Butler look a lot better now than they did three years ago, right, or two years ago. Yep. Um, then what you're saying is Tibbs was kind of ahead of the game, saying. He gave a year of looking at Wiggins and Cat and said, you know what? Neither one of these guys is going to get us where we need to go. Let me bring in a guy who will kick their ass, and if that doesn't work, then then we know, and therefore they should be gone. And maybe he had conversations with Jimmy to that effect. I have no idea if that's true, but I always know that when it came down to Jimmy or Cat, Tibbs always had Jimmy's back. And always used to kind of belittle cats talking about his year in Kentucky. Um, so it could be, and this will be a new thought for most Wolves fans and a begrudging thought for me, is that Tibbs was right all along. And if that's so, um, then you know it, it, it's an interesting, it's, it's part of the, Another chapter in okay, the, so the let's Wolves' say that is right. let's uh, say fat he, uh, yearbook of dysfunction. <laughs> let's say he is right, and that that was the case. Okay. The question then is: When is do it you flip still him? salvageable? Is it still salvageable? And and I think the answer is yes, provided that when Rosas and Cat walk away from each other, Rosas is the full, first one to pull the trigger. You know. Right. And if Cat gets out ahead of it and tries to force his way out awkwardly. Another airplane. <laughs> That's right. They know we're outside. Yeah. Then if Cat tries to force his hand, that that ruins a lot of the, the leverage right there, particularly after Rosas has invested so heavily. I'm not sure of that. Russell. I mean, I'll take the other side now. Now we're flipping positions. Okay. Look at Anthony Davis. Right. I mean, he forced it. And uh, New Orleans walked away smelling pretty good, I think. Uh, it remains to be seen if, you know, that bundle, you know, but and they got some lottery luck, obviously. But that's still that was a good haul for Anthony Davis. What I would say is that was David Griffin. Yeah. Who who made that move, who was not Del Demps, who was the initial right. guy. So so maybe the situation is then that Rosa's process, in fact, doesn't get to play out and that and that it's a that it's a new GM. You have 15 people on your roster, and the good teams literally have three or four surprises that rise up 
and totally overachieve, and then they have at least one cornerstone, and hopefully two, that are gold standard stars. That's how you become a perennial playoff team and a generally moving forward, you know, uh, playoff contender. Now, there are exceptions. Kyle Lowry took forever to mature. Uh, Siakam, you know, despite his playoff uh, pratfall, nobody expected that out of Siakam. Um, You credit the coaching a lot to that, but there is a lot of interesting talent around that team. And it's, again, a bunch of guys that nobody, you know, on draft night, nobody went, oh, Toronto walked away with, you know, everything. Um, Denver, we just went through what Denver had. Um, I mean, you look at uh, look at the the Bucks. I mean, Giannis obviously fourteen. That's been much discussed. Bledsoe was taken eighteenth. Middleton was a second rounder. I mean, these things. The Wolves have to. This was the gist of the, the what I sent you, was that the Wolves have to hit on big things. And then, like anything else, it's synergistic. Cat becomes a lot less of a, uh, a potential problem if the load is taken off him a little bit more, both in terms of um, excuse-making and in terms of legit complementary things that enable him to which, play. Which, to be fair to him, he, he had absolutely nobody to remove that load last year. I mean, the guys to do it were Chabaz Napier, Trevion Graham, yeah, no, you know, they were they were the historically that was the uh, uh, that was another one of these bold things that Rosas decided yeah, to do. I want to talk about this. I will do culture first, and I will do personnel later. Um, do you so, think he would? Do you think he would redo the way he hand he pursued last off season if if he had the if he had the chance? I don't know what's in his heart of hearts, but I can tell you he will not admit, admit mistakes. Well, I, I mean, I remain a – Let's not look at it from his standpoint. Should have it been handled a different way because what did happen was they brought in a handful of players, none of which made more than I think Jake Lehman's making $3 million, you know, Don Vonley, Jordan Bell, all those sort of guys. When they did have – they did have the full mid-level exception. They could have gone out and given a guy a four-year $36 million contract – and, and 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 skipped on some of on some of those sort of things, and they didn't. Timberwolves fans are right to give what Gerson Rosas tells them a grain of salt alongside it. He didn't say he was tanking last year, um, but it came pretty damn close. You are your you are your actions. The, the actions, and that gets back to family culture on the one hand. Meanwhile. 95 percent of the roster is gone and i do think let, i mean the bahamas trip there is an the element bahamas trip is a joke now isn't okay it? sure yeah those things that are on the top i do think there's an element of you can't do it over and over again situationally right but but i do think that the players it just some of the conversation i've had from the, with them i do think while they were there did feel at home, did feel comfortable with, with what Gerson and the front office was building. And I, I don't think that that actually was total bullshit. And how I do you think, think Okogie and Cat are going to feel about round two or three of that? Well, that's the question. Is there round two or three about that? And and at some point, now we're at the way well, they we're hearing, yeah. you know, the guys are together. I mean, and yeah. that is the Saunders, Rosas. That's why Ryan Saunders is there. 
yeah. to promote that bohomie. You know, I mean, it is. Hey, you know, this is this is a family. This is friends, and 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 nobody is a better guy to sell that in terms of being a nice guy who's genuinely interested in your well-being. I mean, it was a we had a, a phoner, a zoomer, or whatever you want to call it, the last couple of days. And people were asking Ryan about, you know, getting to know certain guys and everything. And he gave a great answer. He said, I believe in organic relationships. I don't believe you can force things yeah. into that kind of stuff. And it reminds me of when everybody wanted to keep talking about his father when he was just finally ready to say, hey, right. you know, I, we can't keep talking about my father. And, and he understands we can't keep talking about, you know, how tight we are. It's, it's getting to be time put the rubber on the road and see how far the team travels. And one of the things I put into you in that list of things was at what point is Ryan more than a Gerson Rosas echo? When do we start to see Ryan Saunders um, deviate in a way that he believes is the way to go? And if that happens, how long does he stay with the franchise? Um, but I'm curious, I get in the first season unified message, especially given how jumbled everything else was, unified message, state of the scheme. I mean, you asked him a question about the old five out. You guys have had this running thing for at least a year and a half now about uh, are you ever going to change your uh, five out offensive system? And he is bound and determined to say never even while allowing all these little examples to creep in. So, um, but the point being, at what point, I'm waiting for Ryan to say a couple of things that don't feel like there's a string that Gerson Rosas is pulling in the middle of his back. Yeah. It does, it does feel that way. And I guess the question is, is did, were the strings required year one? I think absolutely. Do they ever come off that is um that will determine how much gerson rosas really does think of ryan saunders if he's there as a ventriloquist doll then obviously when it's time um to step up from that then then ryan is gone immediately um if, in fact, Gerson does encourage and, sh and, and want to get input about what Ryan thinks and how Ryan wants things tweaked, um, or Vanterpool or all these other guys, I mean, there really is Pablo Vanterpool and Ryan, for what it's worth, are all also all on the same page. They, it's a love fest from what you can see from the outside. Now, you know, the NBA is rife with uh, facades, so, you know, we don't know. But, and also... I think that's true, though. Yeah, I think it's true, too, which makes this, you know, uh, 14th place finish uh, and testing that, you know, kind of an interesting proposition. But I, 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 go yeah, ahead. I just... I think about it from from Gerson's perspective and, and, and remove... The simple basketball to it you just do corporate six su corporate success right and if you're the ceo of a company the successful ceos are the ones 
who empower others and cop to the notion that they are not the smartest person in the room in every silo of the business. And you know what? I actually get that vibe when he's referring to fellow members of his front office. Yeah. Gupta, you know, uh, the dude who runs Iowa. I mean, I I think there really are... um, I hear a different level. Well, he of also res- has a relation, a past relationship with them, and and with Ryan, they knew each other through. I'm going to forget the name of it, but the whatever the Christian Coaches Organization right. is with the. So they they have a they have a, a relationship prior, but maybe it takes time to develop faith in Ryan that the that is similar to the faith that Gerson has in say Sashin or in John Luca. Uh-huh. Or John Brant or Joe Branch, who he has But John Luca was the name I was looking for, yeah. the Iowa guy, right. And and I don't I mean ultimately my opinion would be that those strings do eventually need to be cut and so that that coach the the coach of any team should be the per the head coach of the team should be the person who is able to make the best basketball decisions more so than the president of basketball operations. So that coach either needs to show it in Ryan that, that he is that, that he is in fact smarter, that he, he has a, a stronger basketball theory than Gerson does, or somebody else needs to come in and be that person. And I would like to think that Gerson would, would feel that way. And, and I think it's, it's ultimately to be determined who that person is, or will he go back into his history and somebody like, Chris Finch, who's the lead assistant with the Pelicans, who um, who interviewed for right. the, for the Wolves job, or or a, a, a list of other guys who who maybe there there is more faith in. I I don't know. I also think that's that's getting ahead of ourselves. I think we're, there's kind of these multiple phases coming up. Without a doubt, this year is this phase one, and Ryan's Ryan's for sure here. And I think what happens in this year ultimately will, or at least should, determine what happens in stage two which, as we've talked about, I've talked about a million times, that's when the rubber really, really hits the road, and it's like time to, time to go, time to make this roster, time to time to okay, so the Nuggets. Let's flesh this out because you have offered up what I've always heard, and I don't listen to any other I don't listen to podcasts, so I'm sure you, you know, your loyal listeners may have already heard you say this. I haven't heard it yet. What is the 2021 plan that you envision that makes the rubber meet the road. There are going to be a lot of free agents out there. The Wolves, to my view, don't look to be in a great bargaining position to get those kinds of players. So what are we talking about in terms of this leap two years from now? I think it's like a Jacob's Ladder where where multiple things need to to come into place. And, and this – this isn't necessarily my idea. This is what I guess that they are going to do. Okay. And it is trading the number one pick back to, say, the eight. Let's just use the Knicks as the example. Trade right. it back to eight and get the Knicks 2021 pick. And then you're able to use this new crop of assets to get another player. Use James Johnson's contract attached to either that 2021 first or this eighth overall pick. And you're able to find a way to go get the, the, the name, as you know, I've thrown out is, is a Karis LeVert, but there, there's Aaron Gordon, choose your, there's not a lot of them, right, right. but finding somebody like that 
and now you have three guys and then maybe a fourth in Malik Beasley. And, and those are your four real high-powered assets, whether in terms of trade value or on-court production. And those four pieces can eventually be flipped into a top two or three that is vastly superior to what they currently have with just Carl Anthony Towns and D'Angelo Russell. So I think, and necessarily so, because you're talking one year out versus two year out, the the next step you have is a lot clearer than, I mean, then you go, well, okay, we got these four guys and now we're going to turn them into Oh no! But okay, so let's two. get into that. Let's do, let's do that. Okay. So we got we got these we got these four guys. We'll, right. we'll call them Malik Beasley, Karis LeVert, DeAndre Russell, and Carl Anthony Towns. Yes, I think come then 2021 in phase two of this, whatever you want to whatever I'm talking about right. right now, is 2021 is going to be player movement central, just like it was in 2019 when Anthony Davis popped off Kawhi, right. Paul yep. George, all those sort of things. There is going to be losers. And, well, there's just going to be a James Harden situation right. where somebody falls through the cracks and it's going to be the teams that are set up in place with roster pieces and or assets to catch them and flip them into a trade. So I'm one who's poo-pooed the Devin Booker idea, you know, the Ben Simmons and stuff like now, but I feel like players of that caliber, when we call them top 25 players in the league, uh-huh. I think there will be numerous different opportunities to acquire a top 25 player in the NBA come the come the offseason of 2021 and if and if the Wolves front office hits the first couple steps of this Jacobs ladder I do think they can be positioned in that place to get something really special because I think and and maybe that requires trading Carl Anthony Towns I don't know maybe he's one of those two guys but I I think Carl Anthony Towns if you do get to the point of trading him I think you have a serious asset. Then you have to, to attach made. much less to get one of those guys you're yes. talking about. Yes. Or or maybe or it's, straight up. Right. Yeah. And and if it's Levert who will have at that point will have two years left on his contract, that's time left. Depending on what Beasley signs, we're talking about three, two, three years left on right. his contract. Delo will have two years left. Cat will have three years left. Like it's hard to have good players with numerous years left on their contract. And I think the Wolves are in a place to position themselves to have that. And despite all the dysfunction and despite all the, like, yeah, maybe they are going to be the 14th best team in the West this year, that can be true, and they can also be positioned well for 2021 to make a move. The question, I think, is can you handle the PR? Can Will Cat keep his head on straight for that? Will Can Gerson survive to that point, a, a sale of the team? I mean, <laughs> there's going to be a lot of things trying to grab that Jacobs ladder from falling down to the next step along the way. And right. that's the battle. But I think if you are able to it's a path. It's a path. And I don't think I don't think anything I just said there is outlandish or outside of the reasonable realm of possibilities to occur. Well especially since one of the things I always like to point out, and you've already referenced it today, the NBA moves much faster than people realize. I mean, things happen quickly, and things get reordered in a hurry. I mean, Phoenix was regarded as just the dregs less than two years ago. Memphis, everybody thought, was going to be terrible for a long time a year ago. 
Um, it's it's a, it, it, particularly with this extension of this season. Right. It's crazy. Like Blake Griffin was on the Clippers two years ago. Right. Chris Paul was on the Clippers three years ago. Paul George was on the the Pacers three years ago. Right. Kawhi, Anthony Davis, LeBron was on the on the cat. I mean, right. It, and th- those are the top end top, and I'm not even top. That's not even twenty five. Right. That's like twelve top twelve players right there. Right. It, it moves fast. So the 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 question then becomes. What are the factors on the Wolves that will enable them to take advantage of that? That is one of Rosas's stated selling points, is I can be smart enough to leverage those conversations in a way that benefit our franchise. And there has never been somebody in the Wolves' front office, I would argue, that could say that before. So that's for Rosas's favor. Um, then the question becomes, what is the real caliber of your big four assets? I mean, it's not a bad scenario you present, but you could argue that none of them is in the top 25. Now, oh, I would sure. say that Cat is. is yeah. I would say Cat is. but um, No, no, I don't think they are. They are meant to be turned into top Exactly, players. but what I'm saying is that presupposes that you hoodwink some franchises you know and i'm just i just think 2021 is hoodwink season yeah it could be uh, you know the league is getting smarter in my opinion um and but, but sometimes you can't even help getting hoodwinked no i sometimes know sometimes your player just says I'm, well i mean oh. as wolves fans i don't know this yeah. more than anybody <laughs> I, um yeah but all i'm saying is I don't. Uh, I, I'm glad to have heard heard the second step of the scenario because I always heard 2021 from you, and I I don't I don't disagree with what you're saying in terms of it being. Um, if Rosas hasn't thought of that, I would be surprised oh, because course. that is clearly the way yeah. he thinks, and that is clearly a path forward. But you've already pointed out that you know the squirreliness of cat. Um, yeah. In many ways, the ownership I think situation. That's a serious liability. The ownership situation is a serious liability. The legacy mm-hmm. of the franchise, the fact that it's in a cold climate and everybody makes fun of Minnesota. Yep. Thank God for Sacramento, uh, because <laughs> otherwise everybody would still make fun of Minnesota. It's why, and this is something we've talked about, and I've talked about a bunch too. The sign and trade element is very important because at some point there with the sign and trade. Right. You don't force somebody's hand because they ultimately have to sign. But it's a little bit different than when it's just like clearing a max spot and you get bring the guy in right. to the room and you put him in the helicopter or whatever it is, you know. It there there's a there's an element of being able to force your will with that and because you have resources to work with. Whether it's a pick or a good guy who in Golden State's case that you know, uh they had all kinds of weird, you know, they had Iguodala, uh, trade chip, and all the other things. They had a bunch of guys, KD, coming off the books, but the allure of the franchise, the For legacy sure. of the franchise. And unfortunately, you know, um, five years before, pre-Chris Paul, the Clippers would not have been on Kawhi's list even being in L.A., Yep, you know? And Steve Ballmer, obviously, is a factor there, too. He, Kawhi knows he's made of money. Um, so, 
not a bad setup. I, I like the blueprint as it stands because it also allows for a lot of variability. And it also, we haven't presupposed one of my conditions, which is that the development team and the uh, scouting team unearths diamonds in the rough who make your positioning stronger or bring you assets that are value assets in this. Well, and I think that's why it's an, well, maybe we should dig into a little bit more about sure. what, what phase one is because literally the next thing coming up is this draft. Yes. And and we should talk about it. And well, and that is just hitting that is There's pretty so critical. many possible. I mean, 117 and 33, that's fabulous. I mm-hmm. mean, and just in terms of the spacing and in terms of what, you know, cadre of players may or may not be available in that realm. If there's somebody they like in any of those realms, basically they can get them. Right, exactly. Which is, which is big. I, I think, and the one thing I want to say is what I said before of the, the quote-unquote phase one of, of the plan is the trading back and grabbing a 2021 first. I don't think that necessarily has to happen. What could happen, and I think should be considered as a possibility, is they do take a player first overall. And you call it, say it's Anthony Edwards. And and that player is in this mix with the potential to, let's see if it hits, become one of those four guys right. that we're talking about in phase two, and then could be flipped right. himself a, a year down the road. I, I don't think Or Beasley or Levert in exactly. your circumstance. Well, it wouldn't be Levert because right. you'd have the player. Unless you got five. <laughs> <laughs> I know. You never want to get rid of Karis Levert if he's on the Wolves. That's for sure. Oh, man. Dude. I'm the part of my plan that does struggle is there. There is not a lot of players in that fifteen to twenty million sort of range that I. Okay, that, but again, to well. my point before, um, Tyler Hero is playing the point fairly significant minutes in the Eastern Conference Finals. Yeah. Now, obviously, it's nice to have Bam, Jimmy, and Spolstra around, but. Weird things happen that enable you to do things that you did not think one even remotely possible. Yep. Mm-hmm. And so that's why that's what I, that you're kind of enhancing that point where they could just kill this draft and and really, you know, use that as as additional pieces, additional momentum to make that move, you know, down the line. And and the front office can revel in that. And behind closed doors, talk about how they're going to flip it. Yeah, <laughs> the, we drafted the Tyler Hero of this year, and now what could we get if we attach Tyler Hero 2.0 to D'Angelo Russell? Could we get Devin Book? Could right. we get whatever? Or, you know? you know, what if we lose D'Angelo Russell because we have Tyler Hero? Sure. Because I, that carries the bigger price tag. Then you might be able to make blockbuster moves. There is an element of D'Angelo Russell's contract that is it's ba- it's he's I would not ideally want to pay him 30 million dollars no <laughs> of course there is an element of where that contract becomes a human trade exception uh-huh where it is it is your way to get another 30 million dollar player I mean for all of Wiggins's faults right that's what he got that's what he was there right. were, there were there and that's why James Johnson exactly I was just gonna say that is you know let's face it James Johnson and to be fair Gorgie is in the same position. Yep. I mean, so uh, I, I, I've seen enough. 
I will tell you that Gorgie Jang is more valuable to the Minnesota Timberwolves than James Johnson, in my opinion, having seen both of them. Uh, now, Johnson under very well, weird not, circumstances. not in this scheme. It remains to be seen. I mean, your scheme has two sides of the ball. <laughs> you know, James Johnson is a bruiser, but he's not a great defender. Gorgie is above-average defender. There's um, the risk I see in that is that James Johnson's about four years older than Gorgie. So there's serious potential. I think that James Johnson is completely washed. washed. And Gorgie's, for his faults, this season's probably going to be the same thing he was next year when he's, he's turning Gorgie is not changing. Yeah. I mean, the fact that he has developed a three-point shot. Yeah. He has a three-point shot now, yeah. which is actually pretty cool. But Pretty slow, that's an issue. Well, oh, the and, shot and is slow and he's slow. His shot selection is something that people hate. But because, you know, do you want, of all the people taking 16-footers, 6'11 centers are not those people. They either need to be three-point threats or they need to be down on the paint um, because yeah. they're big guys. Right. And if you have big guys doing that. You need yeah. him to be – the Wolves needed Gorgie to be Daniel Tice. Yeah, well, there you go. Now, there's a guy undrafted as far as I could tell. Yeah. I, I was yeah. looking for how they acquired Tyson. All I know is he was great in Germany, and the next thing I know, he's on the Celtics. Well, they, yeah, they brought him in on a non-guarantee, and then this past year they signed him to, I think it was the the room exception or something. And he's like 28. Five. So, I mean, it, it isn't something he had had some established. He's played a long time. Yeah. Um, you know, he was a, he was a young, he was a, he was a phenom in Germany, mm-hmm. which, you know, well, I don't know what that's worth, <laughs> but uh, but again, there there again. I mean, yeah, you have you have the four wings that are the foundation of the team are all top seven picks. Uh, you know, Smart I think oh, was seventh. Right. Tate, Brown and Tatum were third, and Kemba was right in there, wasn't he? Yeah, it struck yeah, me. He's lottery, I think. Oh yeah, maybe eighth. Yeah, something like that. Anyway, they're yeah. all they're all. But beyond that, the, both of Williams is, you know, the last yeah. picks, good value picks. You know, they're high 20s or mid 20s, 22nd, 27th or something. So what? And Tice. Right. What, one thing you said to find, I think it is important for the Wolves to kind of find those the Grant Williams sort of things, too. And maybe that there's opportunity. And for that's that where 17 draft. and 33 come in if they don't deal. them. So so I guess that's my my question for you is. What are the what are they you don't know the the prospects, but you know what the wolves needs are and maybe right. seventeen and thirty three are more of a position where they could be drafting for for need. need. Right. So what, what would what would you like to see come out of the non uh, come out of the draft that isn't the number one overall pick? And maybe I can help by a guaranteed names. defender who could become at least somebody you have to guard on offense. And the position could range from four to one. Anybody but a five on that. Unless it's a BAM five. I think Sadiq Bey um, from Villanova is, is, that, is that guy there who could be. I, th- I, I When I did my board, he was 14th, but that's maybe me juicing him a little bit. I think he could be there. Um, is Vassal gone? Yeah. Yeah, v- Vassell will be gone uh, probably top five, I think. Uh-huh. I, I have him sixth on mine. Uh-huh. Uh, 
So, so I think we're, you're more digging it. The problem is there's a couple of guys like that who are going to go in the lottery. Isaac Okoro from Auburn is – I mean, I think he's day one, he's Dort and has potential to <laughs> – potential laugh. You know what I'm talking about. And he has I know exactly to, what you're talking about. He has potential to Will he on. get 30 in his final game? <laughs> That's not his final game. Dort's coming back next year with the vengeance. Um, but the, the problem, I think, kind of with this class is, is it ends up getting a little bit cluttered and and a lot of those sort of guys might be gone before 17. And I think if you're the Wolves at one, you don't want to be drafting what you just said, a defensive guy who maybe – Well, okay, let's more. say instead of – is there any team that has two picks inside of 15? Inside of 15. In other words, can the Wolves deal one for seven and 12? Is there any any franchise that has that circumstance? Oh yeah, I, I think I think that could, I I think you'd be you'd be selling the one pick short to do that. I think I think one could be flipped for like four and eight. Yeah, or even better. Yeah, three and yeah. But I mean th- that doesn't. Well, if that's true, maybe not three and eight. I, the way I see it is, I think Labella Ball, Anthony Edwards, and James Wiseman have. I don't want to – not superstar. None outside, of those guys interest me, quite frankly. I Well, physically – I know you have Bell as your top pick. Physically, I think they profile as a player you could say – I could see them, whether it's really likely – I'm not saying it's over a 50% proposition. They have propositions of becoming special athletes that – are physically special that become something special because of that. What's, to me, and others would obviously disagree with this, the draft is – you know choose your adventure but after that i think you have a lot of guys who profile as maybe becoming very good role players and on yaka kongu okay. from usc right. i think you'd love him um yeah i do love okongu from what i've seen yeah here's what i'm saying and obviously this is ridiculous it, it's akin to saying i want the next lebron james but i want the <laughs> next Kawhi leonard i want the guy in other words the guy who you know right out of the gate is going to be a really good defender and you hope he becomes really good on offense. Now, obviously, what Kawhi became on offense could not have been even come close to be predicted. But right away, uh, you know, it's kind of like, or it's kind of like uh, the the kid that the Sixers drafted, who's Thibault. so good, yeah. Thibold. If he suddenly becomes somebody, not Tyler Hero, but somebody better than uh, Okoye and Culver, you but, know. But, You've watched Matisse Tybel play. I know. There's I, no I think shot it, that he's going to ever have an offensive game. Well, I don't know about no game. shot, but I think it's a very little shot. What does shot. he do? What is he going to do? I think he can probably drive and, and uh, get to the rim. I, I think – I don't know. I, I think we do this a little bit too much where we where we believe that I know because there 3 are and guys. D players can end up becoming right, – the three right. is actually going to be there or the offense is going to be able to be there. Like, Well, I, that's what I want. I want somebody who the bank – you go to the bank for the defense, and then on offense, you see signs that this person, whether it's because they have a great work ethic or whether it's because uh, they sort of evince some kind of, you know, you talk yeah. yourself into a decent offensive profile. I just, I don't know. I just wonder what what the likelihood of this is. And, and this is, Well, I, then I, give me a lockdown defender anyway. I don't care then. I mean. Counterpoint. Yeah, you've already done that with Okogie and Culver the last two years. Exactly, and now you would need to. So, uh, like a player I did on the the last the last podcast with Will was R.J. Hampton, 
who who's played in New Zealand in that same league as uh, as Lamelo Ball, and he clearly clearly a, a freak athlete, somebody I think will be able to defend um, at the NBA level. Should be there at 17, but he like so many of these other prospects. I mean, I would be stunned if he's shooting at a competent level three years into the league. And and it, it it's really the thing that sticks out to me about this draft is particularly terrible shooters and or guys that I I just it's not impossible there's the quads, there's the examples. It's <coughs> excuse me, it's just hard to see some of these guys developing into anything more than defense and then so if if it's if it's a 90% chance that they're just going to be a good defender with very limited offensive game, then I go, well, you really going to bring that guy in? You have two of those. You have two of those. And so then you got to flip a Coke, your Culver or something like that. It's just, it's, it's just not, it's I think not that's why you flip the keys to the franchise to Gerson Rosas in the first place, though. It is his job to get that guy. There will be, mark my words, there will be one of those guys that comes out of this draft where you go, he's a good defender. Hey, he could shoot a little bit too. Yeah, I, I, I agree because there's like 15 of them, and and one of them's going to hit. So, all right. So, what are the that odds is well? I mean, the same odds you have of 15 great shooters who suck on defense. We already have two of those, by the way, that are paying 60 million dollars. <laughs> so, not in role player roles, though. No, which is all the more reason why you need defense surrounding the cornerstones you don't want a third guy as your number one pick or as your marquee third i i think i think we disagree here i think i think the draft is is the place to particularly this class is the place to let let go of anything bankable purely with the hope of finding a diamond in the rough you know risking incurring more risk and and welcoming the possibility of a failure for that player to be I, I just I just think you take that risk and, and I think that the free agency is the place where you go get the guy who's just been a defender kind of in the league, buried on someone's bench and you and you hope it just I think that's where you take the safer bet. You take the or where you make the bankable bet. I think I think the draft is the place there you go. You shoot for swing. the swing. Let's swing. Flip Saunders, Zach Levine style. Like, you know, and obviously, I don't know. Zach was a was a good return for the 14th overall pick. But that was, right, that was the ethos of that decision by Flip. Right. And I think that should be the ethos of Gerson if, if he's going to be picking at 17. You need to be able to defend to compete even remotely in the NBA. Yeah. Um, I'm sorry. Yeah. But the offense, the scheme – is right, and the um, the personnel for the scheme is getting right, and so now what I want to see. And by the way, Culver, as the sixth or seventh overall pick, whatever he wound up being, wasn't even worth it on the defensive end at that level, given the fact that he couldn't hit a free throw. So um, 
I am talking about if you're going to get somebody, you're going to get, you know, there are guys. Tyler Hero, for God's sake, is a pretty good defender. I mean, that really shocked me. Uh, I kept Ty- on waiting. Tyler well, Hero is a good defender because he plays on Miami. Well, there you go. All right, so. So if you drafted Tyler, if Tyler Hero was on the Timberwolves, he'd be terrible. He would not be a good defender. Okay. Well then, because what is Tyler Hero? What is Tyler Hero? Let's just talk about this Boston Miami series. What's what's Tyler Hero doing well defensively? I think he's making good decisions, and I also think he's a much more dogged. He's trying really hard on defense, which Gunner guys with Gunner reputations, which is what he came in as. He's doing three things. He's making good decisions. He's playing with the dog in mentality, and he's rebounding the hell out of the ball uh-huh. for a guy of his size. Right. He's making smart decisions because his coach is Eric Spolstra. He's playing dogged because that's in his personality of who he is. Plus, he's had that fostered by Jimmy Butler, Dre Crowder, Andre Goddard, all those dudes on that team. Udonis Haslam. Right, right. And three, he's rebounding the hell out of the ball, which boosts his defensive value because they're playing a fucking 2-3 zone. That's exactly what you're supposed to do as the weak side rebounder, right? That's, that's But even when they're not in a zone, he's playing really good defense. I, I know. I'm just I'm not I'm not trying no. to be the guy who's saying Tyler Hero's actually having a bad series. No. I'm saying Tyler Hero's having a good series because Tyler Hero is on the Miami Heat. Okay. But you we can't keep switching back and forth saying um it's the scheme, no, it's the player. It's obviously both, and there is synergy. But at some point in time, that's what I'm talking about. I could make the argument to you, he can't shoot, you say. I say, what's the Wolves scheme? Who are the guys on the Wolves who are going to get the ball most of the time? How often is this guy going to be wide open by the three-point line? They don't all have to be Josh Okogie and Jared Culver in terms of making less than 30% of their threes. And some would argue Culver, I mean, did have... I, I didn't regard it as as big a hullabaloo as many people did, but he, he shot the ball from deep well for a while. I cringe when I look at his, I, even his quote-unquote the B-roll we saw uh, two days ago of him, it looks to me like the same old long windup and not great fundamentals. So, again, give me a guy who can defend really well, who in the Wolves system – as operated, you know, with a couple of really elite offensive guys, at least one certainly and one probably, give me a guy who can stand in the corner and knock that down, you know, uh, and play really good defense, a wing stopper, somebody that you team. um, I'm just telling you, man, there's not a lot of those guys in this draft (laughs) in the top 17 picks. All right. Who are those guys that you can get for the mid-level? It's a, it's a not a great free agent class because it, well also it's mm-hmm. a tough skill set which is precisely why I want that whether it's in the draft or with the mid level, um, you know you need somebody. Uh, Toronto seems to have a bunch of them. Davis, you know uh, that string bean guy with a French name, Chris Boucher. Chris Boucher, um, you know th- they're not. Great shooters. I mean, and then uh, actually an OG. Um, yeah. You know, I mean, Powell. I mean, all those guys can defend pretty well. They're and they're, well. Then they're yeah. sticking it. I, 
Yeah. Again, you would say, well, that's the, because of the culture of the team. Well, yeah, yes and, and no. That's and that's fine. And, and also, that's the example of it working. I think for every OG Ananobi, who has proved to be a great pick, there's a bunch of other dudes who, who entered the draft process with serious injury concerns like OG did and serious jump, jump shot issues like OG did and fizzled out of the league very quickly or became a bit role player. So, I don't know. I mean, the question becomes, do you try and take the OG guy with the, the risk that it's a complete fissure? Or, or do you take the guy who has an even less likely chance of becoming something special? I, I, it's, All it, you're saying to me is it's a weak draft class. It's, it's particularly weak in shooters, I, I think. And All right, so what about your guy, the guy you always big upped, Head Sith or whatever his name Nesmith? is? Nesmith. Nesmith, right. Nesmith, Aaron Nesmith, right. He's uh, will probably be the worst defender in the lottery. <laughs> um, I've fair. heard really bad things about LaMelo Ball on defense, by the way. Is that true? Yep. The film was really bad. Oh. Um, and number one overall, no playing, okay, thanks. Let's do that. We'll, we'll do the LaMelo. All right. <laughs> so, Lamelo Ball's film is bad because he. Well, what I think uh -huh. is because he's never been coached defensively okay. in that way, and he clearly, clearly wasn't there. There wasn't a. I think I think you can tell a lot about how a player it has or hasn't been coached by the way they pursue ball screens. Okay, if right. you're if you're if you're doing a a different thing every single time, you're probably not being coached there. Right, Lamelo was doing a different thing every single time. We talked about the last one, Archer Hampton, too. They're both playing overseas, being gifted a role in a weirdly all, – all these sort of things. Right. I, I have faith that LaMelo Ball is going to be a competent defender because he's huge, he's 18 years old, and and I think there's there's room for improvement. Now, the, the argument is people will be like, man, have you watched – like, have you watched – Ball in the family or whatever that is, this kid seems like a head case. He's not going to be coachable. Maybe. I don't know. Maybe uh -huh. that's I, I can't I, I can't I can't know that and I can't I'm not gonna play psychologist by looking at his Instagram feed. Even though you know, I mean I I consider that sort of stuff. But but I think there's a there's a strong case to be made that he's gonna be perfectly fine defensively, given given how big he is. And I think he has room for athletic growth. I think he needs to, just like he hasn't been coached, I don't think he's been physically trained in the way. I think we saw that with Lonzo, major body shift over the first, what, three years of his career. Right. Um, I, I, think, I think you just got, I think you got a basketball player in him. And, and I, love, I love the idea of if D'Angelo Russell and Carl Anthony Towns are your core tenets, I love the idea of a big secondary ball handler who can who can pursue that pick and roll with cat on the second side i think that's extremely valuable i think we saw it in a very limited sense but we did see with jordan mclaughlin right and i think we saw d'angelo russell totally embrace willingly embrace being like oh yeah i'll, right. I'll be in the corner this time oh yeah d'angelo russell i think is fine off if ball, we right? had him in the media availability that was going to be my question is how do you have a preference yeah. percentage of the time? How would you like to work it? Would you like That's to be a, a true question. combo, 
Would you like mm -hmm. to be a pure point? Would you like to actually be a, only an occasional point and just work your, you know, not have to worry. When you have the ball in your hands, you don't have to worry about feeding people who need the rock every now and then. And, and I'm interested to hear what he says there, but, well, you know, you know how it works. I know, some it'll of be that political. Right? I, well, I'm going off of something that I've watched a bunch as, as him in his 12 games with the Wolves. His behavior signaled very willing to play off ball. And you watch, go back to the Brooklyn time, his behavior signaled very that whole team play played off, off the ball. Right? Exactly. So I, I just think I, the mellow ball is is the quote unquote one on my board. Honestly, I've moved to the point where it's one A, one B, one C with him, Edwards, and Wiseman. Okay. And what is the argument for Wiseman? Because I, I mean, not that that's not Wolves specific. I think. Oh, I see. Okay. All right. But but I I think Wiseman's, I think Wiseman had he played in college is the no brainer number one pick this Will year. Will Wiseman fall? Uh, it, it wouldn't surprise me to see Wiseman fall to like 11 or something. Wouldn't surprise me to see Wiseman go one. But also. If the Wolves traded it. But also, would it surprise you if he fell? No. <laughs> so, well, But, that, I mean, that's the nature of it. Because it's, he's a big man who's unschooled. And and hasn't played, has played three games of basketball in the past, past two years. I mean, he's like a very, very poor man's Aiton, isn't he? No, I think I think he'll it will be. I I I believe he's going to be a really high level defender. You think he'll be better than Aiden at both sides of the ball? Do you think he'll be a better player? <sighs> That's Aiden had a pretty good year. It, I wouldn't be surprised. If All right, what about the other two? The Sacramento guy and the Chicago guy in that draft. Remember? Bagley? Huh? Yeah, I would. I I would like. I like Wiseman as a prospect more than Bagley. Um, and then Chicago, Wendell Carter or Laura Yeah, Marquette. Wendell Carter. Um, yeah, I, I just think he's he's much more physically daunting than than those two guys are. They didn't hear that last comment. Yeah, I don't know how these microphones are going to have dealt with these airplanes. We, we've been outside the whole time. It's a pandemic, right? And it, it is what it is. I, so I you think, think Bagley and Carter? If you put Aiden Bagley, Carter, and Wiseman together, and you were saying you're a GM. We're playing, you know, Red Rosie or something. Who are you taking of those four? Um, I'm going to take the bird in hand with Aiton, and I'm going to let the bird in hand go with Carter and Bagley and put Wiseman two there. Okay, that that says a lot, though. I mean, that means I think I'm pretty high on him. And and it's hard to like, it's hard to really base that in film. Can obviously. he be a, th a a three point shooter? I think I think Wiseman will shoot. Yeah, I there, there's. There's not many examples of it. He's actually. All right, so your description of Wiseman is far more charming to me than your description of Ball. <laughs> yeah, but okay, are we having this conversation through the Wolves' lens or through? Right, right. Like I, I don't know. I mean, I I've toyed with the idea of 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 Wiseman on the Wolves. I just it kind of feels like a non-starter, right? Right. Uh, Unless you know, Gerson Rosas is zigging when everyone else is zagging. Maybe I would. It wouldn't. It wouldn't bother me, right? It wouldn't. It wouldn't bother me. None of the three. None. Of, I don't. I don't think if they pick it, if it's, I wouldn't have any problem. But you would much rather trade down and be in the five to twelve range, provided I can get a twenty twenty one first. Yeah. Right. Even if which it's, I don't know. I what mean, if you could get a twenty twenty one in the twenties? No. You need to be a lottery pick. Yeah, I think. So, so the. So, Right, the the narrative is the Knicks want Lamelo Ball. They have the eight pick. 
I mean, what I, I think that's the dream. You get the eighth pick and you get the Knicks pick next year. Knicks are probably going to suck, right? Yep. I mean, I mean, I think that's if you if you can do that, I think that opens up. Now you have the 2021 pick. We were talking about before how that was an issue of not being able to trade future picks because you don't have your 21 for like. So what are you giving the Knicks? Uh, uh, the, uh, the Knicks. Would you do? That? I don't know. I mean, I don't know. If you were the Knicks, would you take the first take pick for the eighth, eighth and and your 2021 first? No. <laughs> yeah. I mean, so maybe there's protections on it then. Yeah. I mean, I or How I mean, we know that. Or How do we know what the, their actual the, the, view is? And the Knicks are capped out too, aren't they? Or close to it? No, they got all those guys who were on. It was oh, like oh, that's right, Taj, that's right. They, they got the rid of everybody. Second year was right, guaranteed, right, right, not right. guaranteed. Random. I mean, but they want to save their money for, for the free agency. So you can't really get into personnel with them. It's no. got to be picks. Yeah, and I, I don't know. I, I don't know if if that would happen. That's why I'm saying if if that offer isn't there. Right. If that offer isn't there, or there isn't a facsimile of that offer from another team in the five to ten range, then you, then I guess you go ahead and you and you draft Lamelo, you draft Edwards, and let let's let's let it ride and and reassess in a year comes twenty twenty one. All right. And would it be a huge mistake in your opinion? Do you pronounce it Vassell? Then Vassell, I said yeah. Vassell. Okay. What if you just take Vassell first? Or or Okongwe first, Okongwe. yeah. I so so Will who because those doing, are the two guys I like. Yeah, and so Will who I've been doing these podcasts with has Vassell number one on his board. Okay, um, and you think he's he knows his shit? I mean, he's the he's a college basketball coach who watches film for his job. So yeah. that's not an answer, but I believe you. <laughs> no, yeah, I I do. Yes, I do. <laughs> okay. To be clear, and. Um, I, I I don't have him there because I, I don't see the upside uh-huh. in, in Vassell. Though I've, I'm being honest, he's talking me into it o- over time. Well, isn't he a lockdown defender who already hits threes pretty well? Isn't that what I've been talking about? He, he might be. And we're, 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 where, where are you yes. doubtful? And I'm sorry for all the people who have heard. No, no, you this is go good. back and forth and um, you're hearing it again. But I, I'm doubtful of Vassell as an athlete. Uh-huh. Uh huh. I don't. I don't think He's athleticism not, is as important in the modern game as not. it was. Because I've gone back and looked at it because this was my point, and it's what Will really disagreed with. He's like, I, he didn't see that. And I've gone back and looked at Vassell's clips on defense, and you'll you'll get this. He reminds me of how Keita Bates-Diop moved uh-huh. athletically, where right. he was like big like that. But yep. there, You know what I'm talking about? I know about? exactly still, what you mean. I do not want like, another Keita. Yeah, well – He's Kata, definitely better than Kata Bates. I'm just talking about from an athletic profile. No, I get it. Lacks a little bit of that explosiveness, but is stout, still stout, I think, defensively. Well, I mean, the thing about Kata is he made the right decisions and he tried hard. Um, but he was never going to get appreciably better than what you saw. Right. And and I think what what Will Will's argument would be to that he's is that Vassell seems like a guy that could develop a game that's not just three three and D that could take you maybe one two off the dribble and and hit that sixteen footer when the you know, plus when the game let's face it. it uh if Vassell defends like Kata, he's not going to be in the lottery I mean if he is he's going to be a I'm mistake. Not, you're taking that comparison no I know a I know no I know literally. in other words what you're saying is he lacks that athleticism but he certainly has enough athleticism to be significantly better on defense than Kata, right yes okay yes. 
He just doesn't have that extra gear. Mm-hmm. On the other hand, Kawhi doesn't either. Kawhi does it with strength. He's got both. Kawhi's got both. Kawhi's quickness is not he, – he, it's circumstantial. It's like hardened quickness, you know? It, you're right. The predominant thing is is strength. And, and so then I think the, the difference of opinion here kind of comes in where Anthony Edwards – has that extra burst. He has that physicality, and there are there are ample clips of him looking awesome defensively. And there's three times as many of him looking like trash defensively. But I personally choose to focus on on those positives there in the name of it could explode into an upside a lot more on both sides of the ball. Well, one of the things that, and correct me if I'm wrong here. Um, his three-point percentage is bad, but people still rave about his offensive game. So I'm assuming that he's just phenomenal from mid-range to the rim. Is that true? Not in effectiveness. Interesting. His, so why do people love his offense? I, I think it just he, – he pops physically. He, pop, he, he looks like a guy who So the Wiggins comparisons that in that respect are fair. I assume he's bulkier than Wiggins. Yeah, yeah, he's, he's like – Six five, six eight wingspan, two twenty five as an eighteen. Two twenty five. There you go. Yeah. So that's you know, if Wiggins had thirty pounds mm-hmm. and still is quick, he'd be a hell of a lot better player than he is now. The a big problem. Are, I I think Anthony Edwards' three point percentage buries the lead a little bit of what he is as a shooter. If you look, if you look at three pointers attempted per. 36 minutes or whatever, he shot more threes than anybody else in this entire class, including Neesmith, including, I, I think, like four times as and many as And was it shot time. selection or a scheme? Was he a one-man team? Team sucked. Yeah, one-man team. And and there was bad there was bad shot selection in there, too. It, but, again, being somebody who's choosing to look at the glass half full there right. is, is saying part of that's coaching, you know? And and them that the his team at Georgia was very limited. I think they just felt really lucky at Georgia. Tom Crean felt really lucky to get this guy who's the number four overall recruit. I mean, who's the last guy to go to Georgia? Mm-hmm. And and at some, I think the politics of some of that play in where you just can't really right. tell a guy what to do. So I, I so that could present problems on this team. He Anthony Edwards is the guy to me who if we're if we're talking three years from now about, oh, remember when we thought this 2020 class was just going to suck? And and Anthony Edwards is the one who came out of it, and he's an all-star. I I think that's... You think he's got the biggest upside of anybody? Yeah. Uh-huh. I, 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 I said this more cogently when I wrote it down, but he, he has the best chance in this class of becoming your best player. Uh-huh. LaMelo Ball has the best chance in this class of making your best player a lot better. And for me, applying that to the Timberwolves and the presence, the current presence of Carl Anthony Towns, that's why I would pick LaMelo Ball. And you're having Towns. faith that in this fateful step two that Cat remains dominant. <sighs> yeah. I'd, I, do you think there's any chance that Cat stops being dominant. I mean, the issues for no, me. No, I'm talking about uh, talking about your 2021 outlook. Yeah. And yeah, I certainly see circumstances where all of a sudden Cat is not the dominant guy you want on this yep. 
among these four. Who are all these people that are flying in the middle of a Friday, pandemic? Friday afternoon, man. I don't know. Hitting uh, vacation or something. So anyway, let's let's pivot. I don't know how long we've we been going. Yeah, we probably we should probably get there. One more topic. What do you all right. Think? Well, I want to. Well, I do. And again, I'm at a disadvantage because I don't know these guys. But I do want to talk about 33 because this gets back to and and mm-hmm. and let's include Vanderbilt, Spellman, and um, Evans. And it, okay, <laughs> Evans. Man, I'll oh. tell you if Evans comes out of this, at least Evans is at. The, I'm really if Evans does anything, oh, yeah. you I, can tell me. No, no, no. I, I'm not. Name. I, I was just finishing your. No, I know, thing. I know, I know. But it never occurred to me to even put the guy in the conversation. Hey, so he's under contract next year. I understand that. Um. All right. So the 33, and then the guys we just talked about. Vanderbilt is obviously the most enticing right now, right? I yep. mean, I've seen a little of it. The Sam Vicenzi uh, mm-hmm. piece that I thought was very good in The Athletic um, yeah. uh, really f- said, you know, and he talks to a lot of scouts. A lot of people drool over the fact that his upside, he could be one of these guys. If he was in the draft this year, he might be one of those three guys. He'd fit into this draft perfect because he can't shoot. <laughs> but yeah, I, I. But he can transition defense and offense. Yeah. I mean, in the modern game, having a guy, if you can develop that skill set and that physical dimensions into something and put him next to Cat, I mean, his upside as a complement to Cat are phenomenal, mm-hmm. provided he doesn't mind deferring on his shots when he gets the offensive rebound he figures out a way to get it to somebody else no well that so i i, I don't think you were on that zoom call but i asked gerson about him and i, I plugged the audio uh, into the last podcast i did so um people probably heard that and then i went back and watched his kentucky stuff which was and i was very impressed physically i've watched Vanderbilt some was. of his i've seen some of his clips when um after the Vincenzi piece and the scouts yeah. were raving about him, I, I said, yeah, this is a guy, you know. The, to your offensive rebound point, or that, quite frankly, any time he touches it within 10 feet, it's Shabazz Muhammad. <laughs> so, oh, it just, he never. Some, he, sometimes he like, needs to change. Yeah. Yes, you, you would you would need to. But he, the limited availability we have he won't, su- suggests right. that, that he won't. But we're talking with, with Vanderbilt. We're talking about the ninth man in the rotation. You right? can't. He cannot become something special. Yeah. Probably won't. Let's well, put it. I mean, I don't know. I, I still think that's a hit. Like, if he's playing, if the Wolves are in the playoffs. He's like year, a tall say, Tory Craig. Sure. Yeah, I mean, and he's, yeah, I, I think. And I don't know. It was, he really played just like the five defensively or, or kind of like the four for right. Kentucky. So I don't think. I didn't get – I don't have a strong opinion on whether or not he can defend on in space on the perimeter. Right. He's an athlete, so you would hope. But sometimes some of those – you know, like, still doesn't work. Um, okay. But but he – he's a, he's maybe a guy who could be in a playoff rotation. He's a project. 
He's a project who could potentially be a low-end rotation player. But you okay. were talking about 33. Yeah. And Spellman, I, let's just say briefly, whatever well got poisoned, whose fault it was, it's a damn shame, and it's not reflecting well on either Spellman or the Wolves. Something needs to be resolved there because he had some stuff that looked like he could be a good rotation player. So I asked out around about this a little bit, not to Timberwolves people. Right. So well, the Wolves, my well of information is not right. being poisoned with propaganda. There, there's some pretty, pretty serious Spellman ish off court issues. Um, I mean, behaviorally, he, perhaps, and, and and eating behavior. Ah. was a, a major to the two people I talked about that it's like I'm not they both and said the people I'm I not surprised at all that Amari Spellman is someone they've written off okay well and the, the people I've talked to behind the scenes have pretty much said um, he thinks he's a hell of a lot better player than he is yeah. and is offended that other people don't feel that same way exactly um, so, you know, okay, so let, we'll move on from him for a second, although I must say if anybody can unlock that guy, they're going to have something pretty good, in my opinion. Yep. Um, 33, you know, I keep on coming back to my boy John Hollinger and Paul Reed. Yep. Is he going to be there at 33? I think he'll go closer to 17. Oh. Yeah. So um, he's – I know he was He was nowhere to be found for a while. He's, he's back in favor? Yeah, I mean – he, he, I think he's a tricky one because he played at DePaul, um, not wasn't really mainstream in any sort of way. I, I would think he'd be a guy in whatever the version is of these um, workouts that they're going to do for the players that'll that'll stand out a bit there. I just I'd be surprised if he fell out of. And is Patrick Williams going to fall to seventeen? Yep, a lot of a lot of people seem to really like him as a, a Wolves fit there. He's extremely raw. I mean, a P.J. Tucker type. He's the build of P.J. Tucker. But not a little necessarily. Bit taller. Uh, I, I'm not as high on Patrick Williams as other people are. Um, can he be a really good defender? Yeah. Yeah, I, I think I think he has a, a chance, but I think he was very sloppy. Again, he, very sloppy. he won't have P.J. Tucker's corner three is what you're saying? I don't. I don't think he'll have. I, or certainly not it right may away. May take another seven years like PJ Tucker to develop. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, I, I don't know, but it, but for certainly, but but to my previous point, I want, don't want to talk about both sides of my mouth. Like, I think if there is a guy from this class who is Kawhi in that seventeen range, it, maybe it is Patrick Williams. All I right, think it's, I'm on board. Then. Yeah, I, I. I mean, not. I don't want to say Kawhi, but no, I know what you mean. You know what I mean. The, my prototype. Yes. Um, well, I'm glad I brought him up then, because I, I would, you know, if he falls to 17 and he's a guy we know can defend, and is built like a brick shit house and might be able to. I don't shoot. think we know he can defend. I think okay. he can maybe defend. He didn't okay. defend it. For, I mean, he he got the Zach Levine treatment in college, where he's coming off the bench for his team. Ah, okay. But, and I think that it was a very good team. It's that Florida State team playing right. with Vassell, and I mean, they're one of the best teams in the country. But there was. He's not ready. He, he, okay. he's, he's nowhere. He's nowhere near ready. But you know, lottery ticket. All right, let's finish off. By you giving me some what you regard as good options at 33. And the other thing that's really cool about 33 is Gupta can get involved with contracts. Yeah. And um, other teams may want that pick. Um, it could be a nice inclusion because of that contractual flexibility. And then also, uh, you know, give me a sense of uh, 
the Iowa guys that are not Jay Mack and Nas, uh, you know, Keelan Martin and uh, Jalen Noel. Yeah. Um, well, to be frank about 33, I it's think there's shoot. only been a couple of guys that I've really watched that have been there. I've focused more on the, right, the top. top prospects. Um, I think there there's a couple of guards who I could see kind of falling there that are, are interesting. And uh, Grant Ryler has kind of like a, He's kind of got that Fred Van Vliet body, same sort of. He's twenty three. Uh-huh. He played played his whole his whole career there. Um, you know, I think you could see that. I think there's a chance that some of the local guys, uh, Tyus Jones, Tyrell Terry, Daniel Oturu, Zeke Naji, I think you could get it. You right, could see and you one meant Trey, but I get it. Oh, I said yeah. I said <laughs> Tyus. Yeah, um, Trey. I think you'd really like. Okay. Um, and he's got more size than Tyus, right? Taller. He needs to put on a little bit of muscle, like like well, Tyus, Tyus does too, perpetually. Yeah, but I, don't you think Tyus put he, on muscle? Tyus has worked. Yeah. Nobody can complain about Tyus's commitment, although I don't think he had a great year. But that's another topic. Trey Trey's a very interesting one for me, and I fall back on the having watched the shot, not not believing in it. So I ultimately think he's a backup point guard, and I think at thirty three, that's not terrible. That's not terrible, but it would be that would be his stock really falling. Uh-huh. For him to, to okay. go that low, but I once we get out of like fifteen, it's like guys fall, you know, right? And that he's definitely in that out of the lottery range, which which means, you know, that we could see that happening. I I think an interesting thing about the Wolves and Roses is I'm not sure backup point guard is a position they feel is worth heavily investing in. I actually like J-Mac. I know yeah. we've had this discussion. He could be my backup point guard. He yeah. doesn't have to be a third point guard. Yeah. No, I, and I think if, if, we, if we think about it, um, they've shown no signs of wanting to pay a right. point guard at all. I mean, Shabazz Napier, minimum contract, brought him in. Um, you know, Tyus, they didn't want to pay close to what his market value right. proved to be. They were going to pay him a couple million is what they offered him. Right. Um, and then just kind of the willingness to roll with J-Mac. Right. So – but let's look at the teams that are in the finals. I mean, you know, in yeah. the conference side, there are four teams. Wanamaker. Jamal Murray. Yeah. Oh. You know, I mean, I mean, who are the yeah. – name me the true point guard besides over-the-hill Rajon Rondo. Kemba. Yeah, okay. Yeah, that's true. Um, I thought you were going with the, with the backup point guard. Well, but you go look that at all too. those teams. But, I mean, what I, I guess what I'm saying is Miami's confident to have Hero or somebody else – if you have D'Angelo in the lineup um, or uh, conversely Beasley in the lineup or somebody and Cat, for, you know, we didn't even talk about this. And this will be the next podcast because I know we're really long already. But I asked Ryan, I, I basically what I really wanted to ask him was you look at Jokic. The only way you're going to maximize Cat's value on offense is if you try to turn him into Jokic. You know, dominant as a passer, back to the basket, front of the basket. You know, mm-hmm. your silence is deafening. Well, the pass, I mean, I, I just feel like what we've seen with Jokic. He's is, a phenomenal passer. Yeah, and the threat of what he can do. Once he's moving north south, which could be him getting into his throw his hips at you post move or or pass, 
And Plus, he has been hitting a jump hook over Anthony Davis all series. Right, which which was to my, I think Cat's perennially Very underrated hard in right. in that sense. I think I think Cat could do that. I th- I think Cat if he didn't. I really like how Jokic has attacked Anthony Davis, and I think what we've seen sometimes with Cat, with a really good defender like someone like Davis on him, or Yo is, Embiid, is yeah, is trying to draw the foul, <laughs> right, or Gasol, right, or Horford, right, and Cat has elite touch around the rim in, in that sense where he could be. But can valid. he get up as high on that jump hook? Does he have the loft to get it over Davis? I mean, I do think that Jokic is a legit seven foot. Cat is a legit six ten. Yeah, I mean, I think Jokic is getting it off with craft more than he is with size. And and well, I get, yeah. I mean, he's huge up above, you know. Yeah. The the issue really I see is that you can give Jokic the ball anywhere and he can create. It's the, it's the classic, you know, but can you give the ball to the guy? We haven't that, found out if Cat can do that too. I mean, they let Andrew Wiggins and uh What's his name? Jarrett Culver run the point for a while. I mean, if we're going to do something that silly, then maybe it's time to. Uh, you remember the first six games where basically it was the one man show with Cat, and they did pretty well. I'm just saying, let's see what happens if Cat's usage is 35 instead of 27. It's just what? What do you do? What? How do you? How do you increase his usage? By making him Jokic. And making D'Angelo Russell Murray. Yeah. I don't know. Is that what Cat's usage was last year? Is twenty-seven? I don't know, but I, yeah. I would assume so. Yeah. I, 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 think I don't think right. he didn't feel like a thirty percent usage guy to me. It's just. <laughs> I know if that it's, was his usage on that bad of a team with that few of other options, then that's a missed opportunity, or they're knowing what he can and can't do. I would argue. Getting back to your swing for the fences. If we're going to have Cat be unhappy in two years because of all the reasons we've just said, Let why not use it. this season as the shakeout season anyway? Throw him the ball and say, all right, you know, you're going to do this, but you also have to play defense. We're not going to play you 38 to 40 minutes. We'll play you 33 minutes. But we want to see you become an NBA all-star. And the only way you're going to do that is if you – become Jokic-like on one side, and actually Jokic-like on both sides, in that Jokic can be hidden. He's not a great defender, but he's not somebody who really blatantly hurts you anymore on defense. I agree with that. Is there is there an opportunity cost sacrificed in boosting Cat's usage from 27 to 35 on the defensive end? Yes, which is why you need fewer minutes. Okay. You need to be able – and. I'm presupposing something somewhat unlikely, which is that Cat has a very realistic sense now of exactly where he's good and where he is not good. Right. That would be so important. Um, and I will tag that with saying, I hope to God he proves me wrong in all the ways he thinks he's good. He demonstrates he is good. Yeah. But he has overreached to his detriment, at least on defense, and has perhaps not been allowed to, uh, you know. And I don't want, you know, I don't want the fancy pass from Cat. Yeah, I yeah. want the right pass from Cat. Mm-hmm. 
Now, Jokic mixes in occasional fancy passes, but, a lot but of it's, good. the ratio is much lower. Final point I want to make is right. that we they should go be going for it next year. They should be trying to win next year. They don't have their pick. We should be able to see all these things in action. And, and I think by going for it, they should be developing as rapidly as possible. That's what a crash course in development means that you're pressuring people to be at their best. You're not saying, take the time to learn this. And I think that given their core, and then I'll let you actually speak your point, um, you have Cat sixth year. You have D'Lo fourth, fifth year, whatever it is. Okogie's entering his third year. Culver's a hard worker. You basically say, okay, training wheels are off. You saw the system last year. This is what we need to do. This is how we're going to do it. Let's go Let's for go. broke. Yeah. You're our guys. Yeah, and I think. And we, that, we, will, that will shake things out, too. You'll begin to learn. I mean, we'll learn if Cat can handle 35% if, it, you know, God forbid they let him do it. I mean, we tiptoed around it a little bit before, but I'll, I'll outwardly say my perception of, of what happened last year was that they were tanking. <laughs> well, if they weren't, then they're really in trouble. Yeah, that, 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 that's my opinion on it. And Well, I think the Cats injuries... Um, well, it's like tanking, not blatantly tanking, but it's like, okay, miss a couple extra games here, focus on development there. It's not, it's not what the Sixers did, but it's... It was it was a willingness to prioritize other things. Nobody was unhappy losses. with the way the season was going, from what I could tell on the inside. Nobody was saying, yeah. "When are we going to stop losing? I am sick of this shit." Yeah, I didn't hear that a lot. No, I I I don't think so either. I think like the sacram that horrible Sacramento loss where they blew a twenty-seven point lead. <laughs> like they they didn't want to lose that game. Right. You know you don't. Because some losses hurt more than others, but I think generally speaking, to your point, it was okay t in their eyes to have a year where they didn't win a lot, so as to have an in increased chance at at not only developing but also getting the first overall pick. Well, you go in with a roster that is full of bargain basement people, and then you say you're going to play a style that they can't play. Mm -hmm. I mean, how much do you want to argue against tanking? If those two things are happening, right. My broader point is that that's gone. That, yes. That those incentives it should be gone. Are those incentives are gone? They don't have that they, pick next year. They don't have that pick. I mean, the thing you could say is they prioritize development and maybe they play their rookie more than he deserves, or play Culver more than he deserves. Maybe maybe those things happen, and that's like has a sliver of quote-unquote tanking to it but really it's it's the reason i'm excited for this season to happen is like let's go like let's let's you and i sit down at a game and be watching it not i mean how many times did our conversations end up being like oh well what does this new orleans team have or this because it just was what was happening on the wolves end was just right quite frankly boring right every wolves game should be next season right and bearing some sort of injury that throws them completely into the, they should they might end up still being the 12th best team in the west but yeah. they are incentivized to right. push for the eighth which i think will make for a far more enjoyable viewing experience for you and i and for fans right and i'll close with you waited half the season to trade jeff teague for alan crab <laughs> why don't you just get rid of jeff teague on day one and then say hey 
Backcourt's wide open, folks. Andrew Wiggins, you want to be the guy? You're the guy. Mm-hmm. Or whatever. And, you know? and, and maybe just, again, in hindsight, a missed opportunity. Missed opportunity. I don't think... I don't think the if we really peel it apart piece by piece, every move, every decision they made last year gets an A. No. In the aggregate, we're giving it – you and I both are giving it passing grades, but I think we dig through some of that stuff and go, well – Not in a vacuum. We're not yeah. giving last year an A in a vacuum. No, we're no. giving it probably a D in the vacuum. I mean, if, if you're not looking at what they were potentially setting mm-hmm. themselves up for – but if you're talking about, but we are looking at what they were potentially setting themselves up. And for. in that case, they have earned. Okay, let's see what happens now. Right. But and you know, for all the reasons we've just discussed ad infinitum, um, we have hope that this is a franchise that can execute the two-year blueprint that you said. <coughs> because a, a a mediocre front office cannot. Is a lot of hurdles and a lot of obstacles, and uh, you have to negotiate them not only adroitly but presciently. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, that's that's a tall order. But again, it's always been a hell of a task. And if Grison Rosas is going to walk around like he owns this franchise, which is the way he operates, then and and by the way, I'm okay with it at the moment. Mm-hmm. Now comes the the pudding, you know. Let's I'm excited see. for it. Um, thanks for doing this, Britt. Sure. Uh, I'm sure we'll still got a while until anything really meaningful starts to happen. But I think we're starting well, to get a little bit more. We just turned two hours out of nothing, so <laughs> I'm pretty sure. I don't think it's ever a problem. <laughs> I don't think it is either. Um, there's going to be more stuff coming out from Wolves Camp, uh, just with whatever this bubble is. Uh, Unfortunately, we haven't seen much or anything from Carl Anthony Towns. Don't exactly know what's going on there. But I'm kind of viewing it like Summer League. Um, and I think for fans who are who are thirsty just for anything Timberwolves related, um, they'll have something there. I'll be, I'll be delving into some of that stuff depending on what we get from these Zoom uh, media availabilities and, and dropping in audio in future podcasts. And then continuing to do a couple more of the draft profiles with Will. But thanks again, Britt. And sure do it again soon that's Britt robson at Britt robson on twitter till next time i'm dane peace out how i'm feeling man i hope it never stop yeah green and hot so you can find me in the crowd yeah yeah don't let standards ever ever bring you down yeah hope you dancing like nobody else around yeah.